to the Line Break Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Corlew, and with me as always is my co-host, Bob Sakura. We're here. We're here. Talking about poetry, talking about books. Among other things. Among other things. <laughs> so uh, this week is, um, oh, right from the jump, I want to say, um, I want to give a quick credit to um, our music producer, Brennan Johnson, and our um, our art designer, A.M. Strickland. Little Inside Baseball as we're figuring out this uh, podcasting thing. They haven't been credited on the previous episodes because I was trying to record a proper, good-sounding stinger for them. And I've been having mic issues that have been, remained unresolved. And uh, so now I'm just, I'm just going to give them credit right off the rip here. Um, they're dear, dear friends of the show and very creative artists in uh, multiple mediums, both of them. Um, so quick overdue bit of credit to them. There we go. So this week's topic is joy. It's kind of a sequel to last week's episode about isolation. Bob, you pitched this topic as an idea of finding joy in these terrible times. Uh, obviously we're recording in August, 2020, where coronavirus is surging in the U S police are throwing a massive hissy fit over not being able to kill black people with impunity. The presidential election is between an openly racist rapist and a discreetly racist rapist. And things are just generally not what we call okay. So for our 30 to 45 minute read a poem podcast, can we find any joy? How's that intro? (laughs) Like last week, I want to talk a little bit about how we write, specifically the joy of writing and how it doesn't exist. I'm kidding. (laughs) Writing is fun, but it's hard and it comes with a lot of pressure and frequently comes with a lot of difficult soul searching. Sometimes writing means exploring dark places or painful memories. Uh, Sometimes as a fiction writer, you have to murder a character you love. Um, It's kind of a thing for writers to complain to each other about how much writing sucks and how difficult it is and how much they hate doing it. How a good day's work is writing one single sentence and then you delete it. Some people feel like they have to get drunk or high to write and I'm not endorsing or or uh, or or that or saying it's bad necessarily but i refuse to believe that underneath all of that cynicism and complaining there isn't some spark of joy otherwise we'd all do something useful and well-paying like become plumbers so um instead of the usual troll question this week uh i i actually prepped bob for this and i thought we could list our top three favorite things about writing do you want to go first do you want me to go first um I can go. F- I can go first. I can go first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> go for um, it. I, I, I did prep for this, but I didn't write anything down. So now I'm like, wait, what did I say? Um, <laughs> what are going to be my things? I, I guess I'll, I'll open with you. You reminded me of as you were talking about that. One of my my favorite kind of recurring things that happens on Twitter. The poet Emily O'Neill, a Boston person. Um, she was. We were published together by Nostrovia, our chapbooks during the same contest. Um, and regularly she sees people like write these just awful things about how how tough and difficult and awful it is to be a writer and, and, and gives this reminder of like, you don't have to do it. Yeah. You know, if it's this terrible, awful thing for you, you don't have to, you know. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I'm sure there's a we could you could dialogue and kind of riff off one run away off of this of like well also most people do write it's this it's impulse thing feel like we have to i don't know but i like that attitude of, of coming back to of like okay if it's if it's so bad we can ease off we can step away from the page yeah um, for sure top three joys of writing for me i know that the first thing that came to my mind um, I actually, though, no, this is the second thing that came to my mind, but the first one I want to talk about is that um, I am a person. There's a weird roundabout logic to get to this. 
as always. I'm intrigued. Uh, <laughs> um, but I have a lot of trouble. I can't visualize things in my head. That's oh, interesting. Simplest, simplest way of putting it. Um, and, and kind of one of the ways I got like round about this, um, I had an ex who one of the kind of things that we, we disagreed on, not like an important thing, um, but it, she would say she like hated having like family pictures around the house and like her mom was the same way. Um, and I come from a family where like my grandparents have a shrine to the grandkids. Essentially, sure. yeah. the wall. My parents have lots of pictures. Um, and to me, that's always been like really important. And I think kind mm-hmm. of back to the idea of like not being able to like visualize things. Uh, you know, like I need a picture of the past of how sure. it looked back then if I'm ever going to see it again. Um, sure. Not a good thing happening up there. And then when where that all kind of reminded me of um, just the way that uh, one of the things that I, I find a lot of joy in, in writing um, is that it's so connected to memory for me in a way like nothing else is. And there's this really incredible, I think both as a, a writer and a reader, probably more so as a writer, um, time traveling trick um, that sort of happens where when I'm reading something that I wrote, um, I can simultaneously feel more intensely than any other thing that I know of um, the memories that kind of induced that piece sure. of writing that like it comes out of. I can often remember re- really clearly like where I was when I first started writing it. Yeah. Um, and, and that to me is a great, great joy um, as someone who one is like an overly nostalgic goon, um, yeah. and, you know, uh, just, I, I love how much it ties me to the past and who I was. Sure. Yeah. I'm a little jealous of you for that. Um, I think that's wonderful. I, uh, I don't always love rereading my stuff. Um, Uh I like editing, but I don't always, I kind of, I, I kind of have to get myself into it. I'm, I'm very much a write and kind of move forward type person. Uh, But, um, but yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a little jealous uh, of that that writing has that power for you. Um, that's, that's cool. To be to be fair though, I mean like because I agree with you, reading old stuff sometimes really is not my favorite thing. Take, yeah, you know, it takes a while and takes like a little bit of pride in the poem before I can like, really get there. Sure. Number two, and again, I don't know how much uh, this is. I, I, the things associated around writing. Um, but we talked a little bit last week about, I have this like memory of the first time I like shared writing. Yeah. And, and I, I, I feel like the opportunities I do get to share my writing, especially out loud with people, I feel like is some of the most, the times where I feel like the most myself. Sure. Um, and that is a great joy, you know, uh, yeah, and I think definitely. that's someone who, you know, has had a long history of like not always feeling comfortable with my own skin or like not always feeling like comfortable with myself um, to have those moments where it's just like, this is, this is it, everybody. And I, you know, what a, what a joy to be able to share in that way. Um, Definitely. And to like, to ever have people pay attention. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. So amazing, you know? Always a blessing. <laughs> Man, this is going to be, this is going to be a very warm episode. I'm already like tearing up a little bit. <laughs> Um, and then the third thing I thought of, which really was the first thing I thought of, but I wanted to save it for last is, um, again, c- coming through that sharing and, and whatever, is just like, I've met so many cool people through writing. Um, and, sure. and, and it's someone who, I don't know, I, I think I've looked at other people and been a little jealous of kind of the way that they have community, um, and how often they are sharing poems with each other. I don't know. Like I, I very much like, have, you know, know people who like came up through slam and go like, wow, that would have been incredible for me as a high schooler, you know, oh, yeah. and yeah. have that kind of networking community. Um, I'm so jealous of all the louder than a bomb kids. Like, right. 
Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, even, even without that, um, you know, especially certainly with my MFA experience, but even beyond that, like I have met so many people that will connect with people, um, you know, because of this thing that we do. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. I would a hundred percent agree with that. And I, I feel like, and you know, there's, there's always going to be, um, jerks and creeps in any uh, yes. place, but I do feel like I'll definitely say this comparing the writing community uh, that I've interacted with, with the musician community, uh, writing community is a lot warmer, a lot friendlier, a lot right. less cutthroat. Um, in my experience anyway, um, there are, there are many wonderful, very nice musicians out there, but, uh, I would much rather hang out in a green room at a poetry reading than at a, uh, at a show that I've played, <laughs> nine times out of 10. <laughs> I, I mostly like that image. Um, uh, because I, I, not that I know musicians who have had like great levels of success, but even, you know, at a, a pretty small show. I know people who have had a, a green room for their band. Uh, I don't know any poets who have a green, have had a green room opportunity. Yeah, I guess the, um, the green room at a poetry reading is just like over by the bar. Or... Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah, but, um, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll list my three. And as I was writing them out, I realized that true to my fiction writer nature, these are kind of a narrative. <laughs> so embarrassed. <laughs> All right, so um, just three things. It's not necessarily in order. Sure. Uh, the act of going somewhere and free writing. Mm -hmm. uh, usually I write at my computer um, in, in my office. Uh, but whenever I have some free time or extra cash, which is exceedingly rare since I became a dad, I love taking a notebook somewhere and just scrawling. Um, and I want to emphasize this isn't when I'm like really buckling down to finish something or do work. This is usually when I am starting something and just kind of working off like, you know, an image or an idea or whatever. But my two favorite places to write are at the beach or at a bar. Um, <laughs> I've never been a big coffee shop guy, but um, yeah, put me in front of like a big scenic body of water or a quiet, empty tavern. And I can just fill a notebook. I can sit there for hours. It's like, it's, it's, it's better than a, a spa or therapy or anything. It's, it's great. <laughs> Uh, to, to, to add to this, you live within walking distance of Lake Michigan, which makes this like... I do, yes. And oh, across the street from a bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, as someone who has done quite a bit of like going way out of my way to get to the lake to write for 15 minutes, I, I'm with you 100%. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so number two, I like world building. Um and it doesn't necessarily have to be in, like, the sci-fi or fantasy sense, um, although that, that that's part of it, too. I do like, you know, creating the world of either just the poem or the story or the world of the manuscript. But even just starting with an image, and this, like, kind of ties back to the free writing thing, but starting with an image uh, or uh, whether I'm writing fiction or poetry, building the whole world through... Um, the way the narrator talks, the images that make up the piece, the structure and the shape of the stanzas of the paragraphs. I'm a big, how does it look on the page guy? Mm -hmm. um, and then thinking of how it can fit into a larger project, um, whether like a series of poems or a manuscript of short stories, that sort of thing. So just kind of like world building in that sense of like, okay, I'm, I'm creating this, even if it's based on real life stuff, I'm creating this, this sort of, the atmosphere of whatever yeah. I'm working on. And I, I really take a lot of joy in that. Sure. And then number three, sort of tying into that. I do like actually finishing things uh, <laughs> similar to, 
similar to what you were saying about like sharing things. Right. Um, I, I I like finishing things, seeing how things uh, fit all to get all, all fit together. Um, like we talked about in the prose poems episode with uh, how Zach Schomburg indexes his books. <laughs> I like to see, um, I don't go that far, but I like to see when I'm putting together a manuscript, try to incorporate like choruses and callbacks and like recurring mm-hmm. images and ideas that, you know, morph and evolve over the course of a series or a book or whatever. And, and then finishing it and like being able to being able to share it with somebody is really rewarding. Cause yeah, I feel, I feel like I'm definitely one of those people who I get 75% done. And then that last 25% is really tough. Right. But then when you hit the finish line, it's like, even if it's just a first draft and you, you know, you're going to have to go back and edit it, that's fine. Um, it's just really satisfying to be like, man, that one's done. And like, now I can, I can't wait to show it to people, even if it's yeah. just a, a draft, you know? Yeah. Ugh. Finishing stuff. Yeah. Um, should we uh, get in some poems? You got a poem? Yes, I do have a poem. That's exciting. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to bother prefacing this. Uh, I have a number of strands that I want to go in um, or could go in uh, where, when we get into it. Poems about joy. I knew I was going to pick a Ross Gay poem. We'll talk about the complications of that. Um, and complication. That's over dramatic, but um, <laughs> Ooh, I got an called... MFA. My name's Bob. <laughs> uh, this poem is called Patience. Call it sloth, call it sleaze, call it bummery if you please. I'll call it patience. I'll call it joy. This my supine Congress with the newly yawning grass and beetles chittering in their offices beneath me. As I, nearly drifting to dream, admire this so-called weed witch, if I guarded with teeth bared my garden of all alien breeds, if I was all knife and axe and made a life of hacking, would not have burst Gorgeous forth and beckoning, these sort of phallic spires ringleted by these sort of vaginal blooms, which the new bees, being bees, heed. And yes, it is spring, if you can't tell from the words my mind makes of the world, and everything makes me mildly or more hungry. The worm turning in the leaf mold, The pear blooms howling forth their pungence like a choir of wet-dreamed boys hiking up their skirts. Even the neighbor cats shimmy through the grin in the fence. And the way this bee before me, after whispering in my ear, dips her head into those dainty lips, not exactly like one entering a chapel. And friends, as if that wasn't enough, blooms forth with her forehead dusted pink, like she has been licked and so blessed by the kind of God to whom this poem is prayer. Yeah. <laughs> so I deeply, deeply love Ross Gay, and I deeply, deeply love this book. This is Catalog of Unabashed Gratitude. I've read it multiple times, and it just wows me in all sorts of ways. Um, what a title. I, I got to pick that up. Oh, it's so good. Uh, and and uh, he has talked about it 100%, like came up with a title and was like, well, now I have to write a poem that fits this and then eventually yeah. make it into the book. I guess I'll, I'll leave the idea of complication. This is very much kind of all rooted in joy, but I, I just, I've heard and read, um, 
know, people talking about this book. I think part of it comes from his readings are so incredible. Um, he's sure I've never seen him read fantastic reader. Um, he's a super tall guy, huge smile. Um, and just, you know, I really, I can't recommend enough. Um, if you liked this poem to go Google a video of him, there's plenty of them. And yeah, he reads with such energy. Um, and again, the the book, it's rooted in this idea of gratitude that you can kind of almost miss the book just popped. (laughs) (laughs) You can kind of almost miss. It's not so much in this poem, but that the book also comes a lot from a place of, of sadness and challenges. And very much he's wrestling with the death of his father in this book, you know, and, and I, and I like thinking of a poem for joy coming from that place of, of, of finding joy in the darkness you know, exploring nuanced emotions. Like, yeah, um, it's not all just one or the other. Yeah, um, definitely. In this poem, like zooming, zooming in, um, he has this incredible ability to look at everything around him in just this little bit skewed way that I never would have pictured it or quite put it that way but it's perfect and it makes me think about it differently. Um, you know, and like literally we're reading a poem. This is a poem about laying down in his garden. Yeah. <laughs> I'm nodding vigorously because that is exactly the kind of thing I had written down in my note about this poem is like, it's so delightful and how just like vivid its imagery is, but like, it's almost like no thought ever really resolves or finishes. I feel like it just yeah. is like, this spilling overflowing of words and images that really lends a feeling of being overjoyed. Right. It's, it's like, it's like being so bursting with happiness that you just can't stop talking. Yeah. 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 And which is exactly what the first day of spring feels like after a bitter winter (laughs) where you just like, you go outside and it's just, Oh my God, this is right. Look at everything. This is beautiful. Um, I had not noticed it until you just said it, but yeah, that idea of like kind of bursting and running over, um, throughout the book, it's, it's almost punctuationless. And I, I kind of hadn't noticed it until you just said it, the idea, the first two lines of this, uh, ha- the first three lines have four semicolons. He's like clear stops. Um, and it starts in this like really, you know, fun, you know, almost cheesy sleaze, please rhyme. Um, and then it just like, breaks open and just pour, 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 pour. Yeah. Um, yeah. He has these sentences, you know, yeah, where there's no end stops or there's no periods and, you know, the commas drift off. You know, I I couldn't possibly diagram it. Not that I could ever diagram a sentence to begin with, (laughs) you know, but I I think it's, I've gotten like lost in the sentence coming back to what, what did we just say? Yeah. Um, And it doesn't matter. It keeps going. It keeps pouring. It doesn't doesn't care if you kind of missed a little bit. Exactly. And we love that feeling. Yeah. Oh, it's great. It's a it's it's a it's a it's a real pleasure to read. It starts with that cutesy rhyme, and I I was like, did Bob really send me a two page like rhyming poem? Like I'm gonna be so mad. And I just kept reading, and it was just like, oh, this is delightful. I love this. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, we have talked about this before, but I I am a sucker for fun. Uh, you know noise moments in a poem um he leads off with it yeah and it doesn't follow through with you know cutesy rhyme scheme the whole way through um there's a there's a bees bees heed moment that i just like love tucked in there it's Um, a great poem to read out loud for sure yes absolutely it's just like these little turns of phrases um you know i mean himself calling his laying down a congress 
The Beatles in their offices. There was one more I had in here. I guess ending on going to this kind of like the the image of the bee, like it's almost like a chapel. Um, and something that he does a lot that's I don't know how anyone anyone else who does it this well, but that that like calling out that your metaphor isn't quite perfect. Yeah. Uh, it's not exactly like one entering a chapel. I love yeah. that. Just like pulling back a little bit. Um oof. <laughs> yeah. I feel you, man. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it until this reading right now. If I was willing to go a little a, slow us down and dig a little bit deeper. I mean, I guess I would do this in my free time. I would not do this spitballing out loud to a theoretical audience. Sure, um, sure. Uh, I'm a little bit seeing an Ars Poetica in here. Oh, yeah? Um, the, the first kind of line that really stood it out for me was, um, if you can't tell from the words my mind makes of the world. Um, and that's like really plain language, you know, mm-hmm. saying it. Um, but it, it just seemed like a really quick little summary of like what a poem actually is, you know, yeah. your mind they... taking stuff in, spitting back out words of in theory, what it is, you know, of what it observes. That, that feels right. Yeah. And it, um, it... if we zoom out more, um, he talks about, He's nearly drifting to dream, very poem-like. Yes. Um, and he admires this so-called weed witch. Um, and I don't know what a weed witch is. I wish I had Googled this. Um, it's spelled W-H-I-C-H, so kind of implying the other kind of witch, but it's not yeah. the same. Um, I, I have no idea either. <laughs> um, but so he's admiring this, you know, it's a weed, so we can assume you don't, in theory, want it. Um, but if I guarded... With teeth bared, my garden of all alien breeds. If I was all na- knife and axe and made a life of hacking, would not have burst gorgeous forth and beckoning these sort of phallic spires, ringlet by these sort of vaginal blooms. You know, and he, again, he's talking about gardening and like accepting that uh, his garden is has these weeds and these you know alien breeds. So once he didn't plant. Um, but to me, that just like really rings true this idea of like, if I was, or it, you know, there's a parallel I can see of like, if he was overly constricted with his language, he was worried about like not letting it all barrel forth and keep coming and coming. Um, he might not end up with the language or the metaphors or the ideas um, Definitely. that he got to. And that's something I, um, I mean, I kind of feel both ways in terms of my own writing that sometimes being strict with kind of formal things makes me come up with new ideas. Um, but also that sometimes I just got to sit down with a notebook and just like let it rip. Um, yeah. and I'll get to places that I never would have thought, of, you know, exactly. Well, it's, it's like, I mean, a garden is an inherently imperfect thing. Like if you have mm-hmm. a, you know, quote unquote, perfect lawn, you know, like well manicured grass, right. um, you know, things like that, maybe, uh, a few flowers by the side of the road or by the house that is from a biodiversity standpoint and from an ecological standpoint, a disaster right. um, <laughs> and a, and a garden that is allowed to um, grow as, as plants do uh, allows for more biodiversity and things like that. Like, I mean, you're going to get 
bees, which bees are good. They also sting you. Um, you're going to get weeds, um, which, yeah, you know, the context with weeds is that you, you don't want weeds, but, um, but that means that things are growing in your, um, in, in your garden, which, you know, is a sign of ecological health. I am not a gardener. I am to connect that to poetry. Um, the language of a poem inherently has to be quote unquote imperfect. If we're Mm -hmm. using perfect to be like the AP style, you know, (laughs) or like, like a, like a, like a news, like a dry journalism, like newspaper clipping is like, this is what happened. X, Y, Z. This is, this is what happened. That's not what poetry is trying to do as a, as a, as a medium. Um, yeah, I think there's, I think we found an Ars Poetica. <laughs> sort, of, sort of riffing off what you were just saying, too. Um, kind of, you know, like, I think one of the, one way of thinking about poetry is, is, is kind of starting with this idea that, like, language fails us. You know, yeah. that whatever is in our mind, we cannot ever perfectly communicate. But, like, this idea of, like, well, let's see what we can and let's see what does come out. Right. Uh, right. Love, 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 love that. He goes on. I left out part of that line that I really like. If you can't tell from the words my mind makes of the world and everything makes me mildly or more hungry, the worm turning leaf mold, the pear blooms howling forth their pungence like a choir of wet dreamed boys hiking up their skirts. Even the neighbor's cat shimmy through the grin in the fence. Uh, and he's getting to this bee image, but that just, you know, he, I like this idea of both his his observing, his close observing, which is, like, so important to it, um, and his writing, if I'm still using this Ars Poetica lens, um, where he's writing about writing, um, which may or may not be. Um, But, yeah, that idea of both the the process of observing closely and the process of writing, like, makes him hungrier for more. Yeah. Makes him want to do more. Makes him want to live more. Like, I... Yeah, <laughs> that's, what, that's yeah. I, I I totally feel like that. That's why we do it. Yeah, right, right. And then kind of closes off with just this like unbelievable watching of the bee with her forehead dusted pink, like she has been licked and so blessed by the kind of God to whom this poem is prayer. I think that also like closed it off in this way of, of thinking of like, yeah, what is a poem? Um, right. You know, and that that it in this case like it can be prayer. Um, but this other kind, and there may be a, a certain context um, where you would consider that, or that it's, it's I don't know. I, I love, in general, um, the relationship between poetry and prayer. Uh, sure. Um, and, and so framing it that way, and, and pushing forward this question of, like, it makes you think about, like, what God that would be. Right. Uh, love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and especially, you know, whatever God that might be, uh, assuming that I guess it's implied that it's a creator God and what better way right. to praise yeah. a creator God than to write a poem like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I have three Ross Gay stories. Um, I, I will, I will only do, I'll save only, I'll use only one for this, this episode. Okay. Uh, uh which Ross Gay story do you want? Uh, the second one. The second one. Okay, so I guess they actually are, are kind of kind of tied together. So I've met Ross Gay two times, both like poetry signing. You know, he's done a reading and he's signing. And the, so the first time was actually AWP 
in Washington, D.C. This was probably 2017, um, you know, and I'm awkward around people I don't know. Sure, um, sure. I, I think that is like an inherently uncomfortable situation, a book signing or whatever, or meeting someone that you look up to. Um, and so I'm in this line. Also, I didn't have my book with me because I didn't know he was going to be there. Oh, that's uh, a bummer. I, oh, I just man. wanted to say hey to him. Yeah. Um, he's a friendly, friendliest dude. Um, but so I get to the front line and I like pour out my story, um, uh, which he <laughs> just kind of laughed at, <laughs> um, of how a couple of months ago I was in Boston in grad school, um, writing a paper about one of his poems. Uh, and he walks into the coffee shop where I'm writing this poem <laughs> and I like do the thing where I like, I've seen him read before. I'm pretty sure that's him. I look at the back of the book. That's him, right? <laughs> and yeah, like, and then I also like quickly Google because uh, he at the time was teaching at Indiana. And so I was like, what is he doing in Boston? Do the quick Google search. And lo and behold, he's doing some Harvard fellowship thing or whatever. Um, sure. But uh, by the time that I had like gotten the confidence of like, yes, that's definitely him. You should go talk to him. <laughs> he had his coffee and he was out the door. <laughs> um, that's incredible. <laughs> so I told him this story, um, which he, he got a kick out of. He's, he's really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> with my, yeah, with my three minutes the first time I met him, that's what I told him. <laughs> right. Oh, that's great. That's so funny. <laughs> Enough of me gushing about Ross Gay. You got a poem. <laughs> All right. I do have a poem. Um, uh, there's going to be some through line with, uh, with ours thematically, I think, because this is also a, a poem born out of darkness. Um, mm-hmm. I'll talk a little bit about uh, this is a poet I like very much. I know how to pronounce his name. I have heard it pronounced before, and yet I'm always nervous when I say it, mm-hmm. that I'm mispronouncing it. But this is uh, Kaveh Akbar from his uh, Calling a Wolf a Wolf collection called I Won't Lie, This Plague of Gratitude. I won't lie, this plague of gratitude is hard to bear. I was comfortable in my naive pessimism, not this spun sugar fantasy. Last night... I made actual cake. There were no worms in the flour, no bloody whirls in the eggs. Afterwards, the minor holiday below my waistband remained festive as ever. When I touched two breasts, each one was my favorite. Not long ago, I was hard to even hug, like ribbons of cartilage cut from a lamb. I dressed in shredded roses and pistachio shells. I drank an entire language and flung tar at whatever moved, until the world cut me open like a tube of paint, until it crushed me between its fingers like a hornet. None of it was graceful. I had to learn to love people one at a time, singing, hey diddle diddle, will you suffer me a little? How could they say no? How could they say anything? I kept biting their tongues. I kept clicking my heels. Now I am cheery and Germanic, like a drawer full of strudel. I always wanted to be a saint, but I thought I'd be one of the miserable ones, sainted by pain, burnt alive inside, a brazen bull. Instead, I weep openly at obnoxious beauty. Cello music comes in from blocks away, and I lose it completely. There is a word for these fits of incomprehensible delight. I said it last night when my mouth was full of cake. <laughs> uh, the, the the perfect roundness 
Uh, so so great. Beginning with the cake, ending with the, the mouthful of cake. Oh, yeah. Beginning with okay. the cake, ending with the cake, and then not telling you what the perfect word is. Um, <laughs> it's just so wonderful. So when we picked this topic, I immediately thought of Kaveh. Um, he is someone who is extremely expressive about his love for poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone who I feel like I've never met him, but I feel like is uniquely joyful about poetry. Um, that's not to say he doesn't write about heavy things or avoid heavy topics um, mm-hmm. or is even shy about his own doubts uh, with the medium. Um, I mean, this whole collection is about overcoming alcoholism and, um, you know, I've seen him on Twitter talk about uh, how can we even work with language when uh, language can be used like this. And then it's like a news right. clip about ice or something like that, you know, yeah. um, or something awful the Trump administration is doing. But I just remember, um, I don't know, probably four or five years ago uh, when he was still posting like endless screenshots of poems on Twitter. Um, it kind of helped me rediscover my love of poetry. Um mm-hmm. There was a time in my mid-20s where I didn't care for poetry very much. I didn't feel confident as a writer. I didn't feel confident as a reader. Um, I had some questions about what exactly we were just doing here with this medium. Burnout was a huge part of it. Uh, Other stressful life things like, you know, hating my day jobs and stuff. Um, But I just burned out on poetry for a little while in my 20s there. And among other things, uh, Kaveh's infectious love of poetry really helped me start reading and writing and engaging again. Um, Which, weirdly, I feel like kind of relates to the center of the poem. The whole collection, like I said, is about his struggles with alcoholism and sobriety and trying to find joy. And here in the penultimate poem of the collection, it feels like the speaker is coming to terms with how misery is sometimes easier than happiness, that you can be comfortable in misery, that you can embrace martyrdom and a persecution complex and be very satisfied. And to call back to something we talked about last week, uh, satisfied and knowing you're right and everybody else is wrong, that kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, the line, I always wanted to be a saint, but I thought I'd be one of those miserable ones, sainted by pain, burned alive inside. That hits so hard for me. Yeah. Um, or in the beginning, I almost read when he's complaining about there being, I almost read it as complaining when he's talking about there's no worms in the flower or yeah. bloody whirls in the eggs. Um, I feel like sometimes misery is just easy, uh, right. especially as writers. I think we're uniquely predisposed to misery and self-loathing for some reason. Um, But letting your experience, uh, as he calls it, fits of incomprehensible delight is, uh, I feel like, a sign of maturity and, you know, an important perspective to keep in mind. So that's what this poem does for me. Absolutely. All that. My goodness. He does leaps with the language. Um, You know, I mean, that's certainly trademark of almost any poem that i like um you know but yeah the the jumps in logic that are just so good yeah Um, yeah. you know i'm trying to put my finger on what exactly it is and what exactly he's doing which maybe is part of why it's so good because it's i i I can feel it i can see it I, i think of there was the line I was hard to even hug like ribbons of cartilage cut from a lamb um, where there's just so many things going on in this, these two lines, you know, I was hard as a callback to earlier, the holiday below my waistband, um, mm-hmm. that kind of moment, but then extending it with a lot, the, the great line back there, I was hard to even hug. So then talking about this, you know, this state of 
who he was and right. how he felt about himself and how others might have felt about him. And then into um, the simile, like ribbons of cartilage. Already, I think, a fascinating couple of lines cut from a lamb. Yeah, there's like, a insane duality there where um, so like there's a delicateness in the word ribbons and lamb. But what yeah. you're talking about is ribbons of cartilage. So meat you don't want to eat like uh-huh. Unchewable yeah. meat, and the lamb is obviously being butchered. Um, and he's comparing himself to that skinny, <laughs> sinewy, like nasty, unwanted piece of meat. But right. the language of ribbons and lambs, and like the line starts with hug like ribbons, and then you know, the right. break and it ends with lamb is using imagery that we would otherwise find um delicate or cute or uh-huh. something like that you know ribbons and right you think ribbons you think a birthday present you think a lamb yeah. you think of a baby sheep you know but it's it's um but then there's the the duality and then he continues it with shredded roses um, right you know it's it's just uh there's there's something ruined about his state of being in that stanza right I guess like an innocence ruin that I don't want to get too cute with that, but you know, like some, something like that. Sure. I you think you nailed it with uh delicate is the word that the, the, yeah, this duality, this contrast between the, the delicate ideas, the delicate words and like the hardness that he's talking. I was hard to even hug cartilage and cut both just our hard sounding words, roses, pure soup, pistachio cells, very, you know, like, Oh yeah. Yeah. This back and forth. Um, these jumps I wouldn't be expecting. I am cheery and Germanic, like a drawer full of strudels. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Oh, my God. What a line. Uh, so just what an image. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with a drawer full of strudel. Uh, incredible. The, I mean, that leads into that the line, uh, the saint line. Or I want to, yeah, I always wanted to be a saint. I thought I heard the word saint twice. Now I'm making it up. Um, I just just noticing a a, a funny um, quirk of the two of us talking about poems is how much we will uh, zone in on something that like our religious upbringing. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I I, I don't know, certainly not that uncommon of a thing to have two poets who, you know, they're upbringing their relationship to religion. uh, It's um, complicated at best, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, But but certainly, I I knew you would jump on that. That one hit me too. Yeah. And I mean, when, you know, I... I did have a phase where I I did do a lot of reading up on on certain saints, um, mm-hmm. and one that uh, stuck out to me. Yeah, I was never Catholic, but of course we went to Catholic school, mm-hmm. um, Catholic college. I don't know if you went to Catholic high school or anything, but um, oh, I went Catholic school all the way up through all the way up. Oh boy, first round of grad, first round of grad school, Catholic school the entire way. <laughs> oh boy, I was a uh, I was a public public school kid until college. Yeah, I was always struck by. Um, by the asceticism of monks and um, uh, and and saints and things like that, and Saint Anthony stuck out the most to me, of someone who just um, shunned all worldly pleasures uh, of life and 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 went out to the desert and just lived a life where he just 
prayed and read the Bible all the time and like invited the devil to tempt him. And there's all these stories of him having these wild visions and like fighting off the devil and things like that. And I always was struck by that level of spiritual dedication, but then also felt like, isn't that ultimately kind of a selfish way to live? <laughs> um, and it, it, to bring it back to this poem, it's like, yeah, a saint, one of those miserable ones. Um, oh yeah, there it is. <laughs> you know, it just like, that that's 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 where I went. It was just like, right. oh yeah, it's so much easier to like. It made me think of Saint Anthony going out in the desert mm-hmm. and just uh, you know every night calling out to the devil to come fight him so he can prove his devotion to God by wrestling a lion or whatever he did. Um, and it was just like that. That that's different than like going around town and helping the poor like Jesus and the disciples did. <laughs> it's, it's just not the same way of living. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, you started talking about saints and i was like oh you gotta have a favorite saint and i was, and I was like true who's my favorite saint and i was like oh i was all about saint george who slayed dragons and was probably not a real person <laughs> yeah oh yeah <laughs> well because you get confirmed at 13 so you're, yeah, you're right. <laughs> your favorite saint's always going to be the one that fought dragons and lions <laughs> You you took it a, a better direction and, and was stuck with the poem. But the thing that I, I kind of thought of um, right at the tail end of what I was saying there, of, of like both of us, um, yeah, kind of latching on to kind of moments of religion, especially moments of Christianity, um, hopping into the poems, you know, wherever we see something that, you know, kind of clicks for us because that's so ingrained. Um, I was at a workshop, uh, not my MFA workshop, poets I didn't know very well. Um, and I was writing a poem that had nothing... The, the poem they were workshopping in mind had nothing to do with religion. Um, and I, I slopped in this moment of like, I say a prayer or I pray for something. I don't at all remember. I don't think it's a very good poem. Um, but everyone jumped on it. Of like, why are, you, why are you praying? There's this idea of that they wouldn't include prayer if there wasn't something else rooted back into religion moment, you know, or, or somehow it wasn't a little bit more about that. that, that it was even just saying like, I pray about something is too loaded. Interesting. Um, yeah, which I, I simply I don't agree with. I wouldn't yeah, take it. I don't either. Yeah, but that. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I'm I I mean, I use it in my daily life all the time. Even if I'm not talking about prayer, it's just like right. it, it's like like we'll put the kid down to bed and be like, oh, pray and he sleeps well, you know, like that sort of thing. <laughs> like, right, yeah, I mean, it's a relatively casual thing to kind of. Yeah, think. yeah. Just yeah. drop, and it's the same. For, I mean, like I grew up in the Bible Belt, but you didn't. Yeah, yeah. That, and I just don't think it's a. Um, I don't think it's an uncommon thing for a character, even if the character isn't religious or the poem or story isn't about religion, to just say. Right. Basketball announcers talk about throwing up a prayer from half court all the time. Speaking of oh. basketball. <laughs> Speaking of joy. Speaking of joy. So the. Um, uh, topic this week is joy, and uh, I want to. Uh, we're gonna get a little, um, little, little, a uh, little existential, a little deep here. Okay. What about basketball uh, do you associate most with joy? I initially thought about players. Um, I thought about specific plays, like um, um, or a specific feeling, like you know, I, I was I was gonna do an ode to um, like a beautiful post up game, like like a Hakeem or uh, like a. Um, a Larry Bird passing out of the post or MJ's fade away. I was right. going to do um, 
do a thing about the beautiful game, like the the ball movement and motion offense, like the way the 2014 Spurs, 2015 Warriors played. But instead, I want to share a little memory um, okay. and kind of uh, honor um, our friendship and our friends a little bit here. Okay. So this is a day that was back in 2011 and 2012. I, I want to say it was 2012. I really feel like it was 2012. Uh, and it was less a day and more of a... Um, uh, more of a weekly thing, but all of our friends kind of um, lived in the same neighborhood, and we would have a weekly pickup game, uh, usually on Sunday mornings. And I just remember there was one day where it must have been February because the NFL had ended, and um, so we go and we play all Sunday morning. We played for like four hours. Um, I, I can't remember if you were there or not. I can't remember specifically who was there, but it was all of our friends. And we played for like four hours. Then we went to uh, Hamilton's, rest in peace, across the street from Loyola um, for like a quick like Bloody Mary brunch. And we played Papa Shot because Hamilton's had a Papa Shot machine. Um, so we played Papa Shot for a little bit. And then we went to that house, that apartment in Andersonville that I know you lived in for a little bit. Um, it's like a three-bedroom yeah. Um and I say the NFL was over because it was, the, I think it was the first week of Sunday showcase. Mm. And so we just watched like after playing four hours of basketball and playing Papa shot while drinking bloody Mary's, we watched like four more hours of basketball. And I had just started dating my wife at the time. So I was, you know, like in the middle of falling in love uh, and like everyone's uh, girlfriends came over. It wasn't like some dude fest, um, but it was just like, I just remember this wonderful feeling of being, I guess I was 24, uh, just feeling uh, young and like my day was full of uh, basketball and like friendship and love. And it was just, it was just a a great day. And there are lots of things about basketball that bring me joy. But um, when I started thinking about this topic, I was like, I, I got to tell the story. It's one of the best memories I have. (laughs) So, I love it. <laughs> um, I, I, so yeah, a little sentimental for the, uh, for the basketball question this week. I, I certainly can't say if I was there that day or not. I can't um, remember if you were in Utah or not. I honestly, because right, I was, I was still away from Chicago for most of 2011. Um, I was back by 2012, 2011. There was one of those weekends where you visited though, which is why I can't true. remember if you were there or not. So, That's true. <laughs> but uh certainly have a few of those days of absolutely where we played basketball in the morning we i do remember one time going to hamilton's afterwards but yeah and just whew, losing the day to sunday showcase <laughs> just losing the day to literally a whole day to basketball <laughs> <laughs> um i will add uh just some things i find joy in with basketball Certainly when I think I missed a lot of when we were playing weekly pickup, but I do yeah. just uh, like, Oh, that was a sweet time when we could play weekly pickup and there weren't too many responsibilities in everyone's life. Um, we also were part of an adult team that played together for one, if not two seasons. We did two. Yeah. We did two seasons. Yeah. Um, and we were not good. We were not good, uh, but it was fun. It was so much fun to every Monday night, know where we're going, know what we're going to do. Um, and uh, 
I started playing basketball um, in fifth grade. A good friend of mine at the time was in a park league team. Um, they had lost other games, and I was another tall guy. At the time, I was tall. I was tall for my age at the time. Sure. So said, yeah, you can play with us. And we continued to lose all our games um, until the playoffs. We won our first game. We lost our second game by two points. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, at the time, it, as a not very athletic kid, it made me feel like I could do something. Because uh, the coach just said, like, stand in the paint and get the ball when people miss shots. Sure. Uh, I, I hope he used the word rebound, but I'm not sure if he did. Because he had another <laughs> point. And that was just, like, my first game was just three second violations over and over again. <laughs> told me what it was. Um, like, wait, how old were you? Uh, fifth grade, I think. Fourth, fifth grade. Who calls Ten. three seconds on 11 year olds? <laughs> That's the most suburban dad shit I've ever heard. It must have been way over three seconds before they <laughs> um, But uh, to this, to, you know, to this day, like there, I don't, there are very few things I enjoy as much as getting an offensive rebound and putting it back in. Like sure. it's for me. Nice. <laughs> uh, so for all of the poets trying to form basketball teams, if you want someone to do some of that dirty work under the hoop, I'm undersized. I admit it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Bob, Bob is hellacious to box out against. It is a miserable experience trying to box out against Bob. Uh, <laughs> Oh, All right. Yep. Now we're just deep in the nostalgia. The ugh. oops, nostalgia, <laughs> man. <sighs> oh, goodness. Well, I guess that's another week. I guess that's another week. Yeah. We're, we're we're in the rhythm. We're doing it. We're doing it. What's our sign off this week? Get out there and <laughs> get out there and be joyful. Uh, you know, things are tough right now, and it you know you. I understand you feel difficult, but just every day, if you can set a good pick where you can box someone out, <laughs> um, find some joy in that. Yeah. Hit a three and, uh, and find a good Volta for the end of your poem. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it.